0: Are y'all doing tonight? Come on, nine o'clock crowd. How are you doing tonight? Yeah! All right. We're recording this, so we need for service. And uh, once again, if you ever miss a message, you can go to Mizzouxa.com and go to talks. And underneath there you'll see the messages from the previous year. So we're gonna be recording this for that. But uh, it is good to have y'all here. You guys doing all right? Yeah. Excited? You just got done worshiping Jesus. You feeling good? Okay. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, have you guys enjoyed their guest speakers over the last couple of weeks? <clears throat> I mean, two weeks ago, we had this Barton guy. I mean, Julie says he did a really great job, so there we go. And here's the thing. If you've ever met with Julie, you know that if it wasn't good, she'd be like, even with her own husband. And so it must have been awesome. And then last week we had our guest missionary uh, who, yes, uh, reaching Muslims in Africa. I mean, he was challenging. I'm, I'm telling you, Mark is a good guy and he was deep in stuff. And I appreciated him coming and sharing with us last week. Uh, tonight you got me back. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. I'll I'll take that. All right. Was not expecting that, but hey, thanks for the confidence boost. (laughs) We love you too. (laughs) Uh, We're going to go ahead and continue with our Refreshing Friendship series. So far this semester, we've talked about how refreshing friends carry each other's burdens. uh, And we also talked about how they sacrifice for one another. Tonight, we're going to look at another important purpose of refreshing friendships, and that is to help us to stand strong. Uh, over the years, I've had the privilege to disciple a lot of people, and I've discipled some really, really talented uh, students. And occasionally, when they graduate, they give me, you know, maybe a piece of work that they've done, and if you've ever been to my house, I've had this Three picture print on my wall since literally the day I moved in. It was given to me by a student that I discipled at Missouri State, who then went on to become a staff member here at Mizzou, and then he went on to go ahead and uh, pioneer Chi Alpha at Southeast Missouri State. Some of you may know him. His name is James Bowley, extremely talented artist, and he did print print block stuff where basically you have to etch in a piece of metal and, I don't know, put acid on it. I don't know. He's It's really good. But he gave me a piece when he graduated that he wanted me to have. And it's this three-print set based on Ephesians 6. Um, Morgan, can you go ahead? Yes. Uh, as you see in the first panel, uh, He is putting on the armor of God. In the second panel, the warrior is fighting his enemy. And then, last but not least, he is standing tall after the battle's done. Anytime you see or you read this in the Word or even hear someone preach, they tend to focus on the armor of God. And those are all very, very important parts, obviously, of a Christian's walk. Um, You have, what, the belt of truth, the body armor of God, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and last but not least, but the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And those are all tools that we use to achieve our purpose as Christians. And that purpose is simply to stand. The Lord wants us to be strong so that we can be standing when the battle is over. Students, you know, I'm pretty honest with you. The battle's coming. The battle is coming to your front door if it already has it. That's guaranteed. What I can also guarantee you is that the Lord is going to be victorious. And so the battle's coming. The Lord's going to be victorious. The only question that I have for you tonight is this. Will you be standing? Will you be standing at the end of that battle? You see, to stand takes more than just putting on God's armor. The Bible tells us that we don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't just fight with our armor. Most importantly, we don't fight alone. And when I say that, I mean without the Holy Spirit or without refreshing friends. If you look at the armor and the list of uh, weapons that the Lord gives to us, you see that there's actually no protection for your back. And so, what protects your back? Your brothers and sisters in Christ. And while most people focus on the armor of God here in chapter 6, you need to understand what's leading up to chapter 6. See, Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church, And he spends most of it talking about relationships. In chapters 2 and 3, Paul talks about our relationship with Jesus. And then in chapter 4, he talks about unity within the body of Christ amongst his people. Then in chapter 5, Paul talks about Christians living by the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. another part of a relationship with God. Paul goes on to talk about relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters. He spends most of the book talking about relationships leading up to the armor. Here's what I know. You can put on the armor of God, but if you want to be strong and standing after the battle, you need refreshing friendship. And so the question tonight is, what kind of friend strengthens us? What kind of friend helps us to stand strong and tall? I think we need to be honest, not all friendships are equal. We talked at the beginning of the semester that there are some friendships that will refresh you. And then there are some friendships that drain you. There are some friendships that that will strengthen you in your walk with Christ, there there are others that will weaken you. Refreshing friendships strengthen our walk and help us to be standing when the battle's over. And so tonight we're going to look at some characteristics of refreshing friends that strengthen us. And to discover those characteristics, we're going to be looking at what I believe is a wonderful example of friendship. The friendship between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel in chapter 3. If you've grown up in church, you have heard this story many, many times in your life. It's often told in children's church, and it's a great story. It's a great foundational story that talks about putting your trust in God I think often we look at these stories as children and then we never go back to them as adults to really see deeper truths that the Lord wants to speak to us. Hopefully we'll do that tonight. Most of the time, people focus on the part of the story where uh, the three friends get thrown into the fire. Spoiler alert, God saves them. It is a very important part, but really, I want to focus on what leads up to that. You see, two things make this awesome miracle possible. Obviously God, because no one else is getting you out of a fire, but it's also the strength of their friendship. The friendship makes the miracle possible. It paves the way for God to do and so, let me kind of summarize what's happening in chapter 3 because it's a really long chapter and I don't want to have to read it to you. Israel and Judah, they have been exiled to Babylon for constantly disobeying God over literally hundreds of years. How many of you like that God's a God of mercy? Yes! God is a God of mercy. But you know what God also is? A God of justice. You cannot have mercy without justice. For hundreds of years, God would send prophets and people to, have the, you know, to talk to the, his children and ask them to repent. And they would always go back to sin. And at a certain point, God brings judgment on the people not because he hates them, but because it will lead to repentance. And so, the people are exiled. The most educated, the richest, the nobles, the royal people, they their children would often be sent to serve in the king's palace in Babylon. And this was King Nebuchadnezzar. These children would be basically mm, re-educated and assimilated into Babylonian culture. They'd be renamed with Babylonian names. They'd be taught the sciences of Babylon and taught their religion. Daniel, along with his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are selected, uh, I guess, for this honor because of some things that happen in God's province, Daniel is elevated to a high position in government, and he brings his friends along for the ride, too. That takes us to Daniel chapter 3. Here, King Nebuchadnezzar has made a 90-foot-tall gold statue of himself. So 9 feet wide, 90 feet tall. We're talking about the Statue of Liberty-sized statue. And no, it wasn't solid gold. But here's the thing. It was probably made of a wooden, wooden brace and then layered in about two inches thick of gold on this thing. They estimate the value of that statue would be about 10 to 12 billion, yes, with a B, dollars. I... It's safe to say that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a little bit on the narcissistic side. He was arguably the most powerful king and emperor of his time. And let's let's be honest, sometimes you begin to buy into your own greatness after a while. Thus the 90-foot statue. Has anyone here ever worked for a narcissist before? Staff members, keep your hands down. There we go. You know, here's the thing. Often, a narcissist's single-mindedness is what makes them so successful. They tend to be uber-focused. But it also makes them really, really irrational, too. When you're a narcissist, you only really want to hear what you want to hear. So... Once the statue's complete, Nebuchadnezzar sends out an invitation to all his officials from across his kingdom. And he wants them to attend this dedication. People get there, they're like, oh, look at that beautiful statue of you, great king. And he issues a command to all of them. When you hear the instruments play, bow down and worship the gold statue this was, it was a political move. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had a very diverse kingdom. He'd spent a lot of time conquering other kingdoms, so he had a lot of different nationalities all under one area, and they didn't really get along super well. And so he was trying to unify them under a very powerful thing, which is religion. And so it was a political move that happened to also stroke his ego. This command that he issued wasn't, optional either. Uh, If anyone refused to obey, the word tells us that they would be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. And so, you have the music start playing and all the people bow down and worship the gold statue. Well, mostly everyone. As you can guess, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't. And uh, a couple of uh, their co-workers, the astrologers, they go and tell on them. There is some uh, jealousy in their workplace. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a little history with these astrologers. In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream. And he called the astrologers and said, tell me what my dream is, and then also interpret it. Needless to say, they couldn't do that. And so he got mad and was going to have them killed. But Daniel and his friends, they prayed. And God revealed the dream and its meaning to Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed. He made Daniel the ruler all, over all the province of Babylon, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put in charge of all the government business in that province. All that to say, basically, uh, the astrologers lost their job, lost their position, prestige, power. These guys made some enemies on that day, and they saw this as an opportunity to get their revenge. How many of you want to be successful in your chosen fields? How many of you want God to honor you in your workplace and help you get a better position and a better job? Students, let me just tell you, as God honors you, you can expect to make enemies with Satan. See, people of God who are elevated to positions of power are going to face scrutiny. They're going to face abuse, testing, jealousy, on top of spiritual attacks. The Lord raises up people who are strong enough to stand for him no matter what they face. And so instead of asking God to raise you up And to honor you in your positions and to give you a better position, ask the Lord to give you the strength for when he does. And so the three are brought to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's mad. He feels disrespected. But you know what? These guys have served him pretty well for a while. I'm going to give you one more shot. When you hear the music, bow down. At this point, the friends have to make a decision. Bow down or die. This is where their character begins to get revealed. Uh, The first characteristic that we see of refreshing friends who strengthen us, they are friends with conviction. Students, we need to surround ourselves with people who hold the same deeply rooted beliefs as us, that have the same values as us, and most importantly, love God, love people, love each other more than anything else. Conviction is more than a good idea. It's more than a belief. A conviction is something that influences the direction of our lives, even to the point, even to death. reality is we live in a world where the strength of our convictions will be tested by the consequences we face. I want you to get that. The strength of our convictions will be tested by the consequences that we face. It is easy to say that we believe in something or someone. But the depth of that belief is seen when we're faced with consequences that will change our life or, in this case, end our life. It's fear that does it to us. Fear of the unknown or fear of the known, in this case, well, the furnace. Fear causes us to compromise. And very simply, compromise is an excuse Or a justification not to do the right thing. Has anyone here ever compromised in your life? Sinners have. It's okay. We all have. We're human. Fear and the desire for self preservation will often cause us to compromise or justify our behaviors. That run contrary to our convictions. Fear is a powerful emotion. Fear leads to anxiety, which leads to panic, which leads to compromise, and we begin to tell ourselves that we, we talk to ourselves a little bit. God wouldn't want me to feel this way. He doesn't want me to go through these hard times. I'm just going to do what I have to. And you know what? He'll understand. He'll forgive me. It's okay. Fear lies to you. Jesus told us in Luke 9, 24, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I know so many people who try to do both. They try to hold on to the things of this world and the life that they have, but I also want to serve Jesus. And you know what? That leaves them unhappy. Leaves them dissatisfied with their relationship with God. And they're like, I don't even know if this thing's real. It's real. You can't have both. And I believe that it would have been very easy for these three men to compromise. It would have been tempting to say, you know, we can bow down, but we don't have to worship. God knows I'm not worshiping. I'm just bowing down. Or, you know, when the music starts playing, oh, I need to tie my sandal. Okay. Okay and just stay here for a minute or two, are we done with this? Okay, sandal tied. Or we come up with other excuses, you know. Oh, look. Hey, there's a penny on the ground. I'll go get it. We can make this work without having to die a horrific death. Conviction begins with a decision. Studies say that we are faced with at least 70 decisions every single day. That means we face over 25,000 decisions every single year. And in the course of your lifetime, you will face somewhere between a million and two million decisions most of which are probably pretty minor, what to wear, what to eat. But some decisions in your life hold a lot of weight. And none more important than the decision to say yes or no to God. Godly decisions determine our destiny. The decisions that you make will decide whether you're in God's will or not. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they're faced with. Let me just tell you, it is easier to make godly choices when you are surrounded by godly friends with conviction. These guys, they didn't have to huddle up to decide what to do next. It wasn't a debate or a vote amongst the three of them. It was an obvious choice that strengthened each and every one of them. Any engineer, engineering majors in this? Correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, okay? I I don't think I am, but correct me if I'm wrong. A structure will be compromised if it doesn't have a strong foundation. You roll the dice sometimes. I have a master's degree in history. I don't always know this stuff. The conviction of these men were not based on their personal experience. It was based on what they had been taught about God. You see, they knew God's word. They would have known, I mean, they knew more, but they would have known the solid basics, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 2, 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. If you drop down to verse 6, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. You see, they had a good friendship. Compromise would have the conviction that bound them together. I'm just telling you, their friendship would have never been the same if they compromised. It would have lost that strength and they wouldn't have been able to stand. And so let me just ask you tonight, where does the conviction of your friends come from? One, do they have conviction? I guess is the important part. But where does it come from? Is it the word of God? Or is it some personal experience that they think is right? The word of God helps us to stand. Our own experiences will not. And so you got Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We we see their response. King Nebuchadnezzar. And that brings us to the second characteristic of refreshing friends who strengthen us. Surround yourself with friends with confidence. Okay? Uh, Let me go ahead and read their response to Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. That's gutsy, folks. That is gutsy, knowing that their lives are in his hand, or at least he thinks they are. And they have the boldness to stand True. Can you imagine standing in front of, let's go, the president. And let me just say whether you like him or not, whatever. There, everyone likes to think that they have the guts to say whatever they want. Nine times out of ten, people fold like a house of cards, okay? They get around someone that's popular, a celebrity, someone that's rich, someone who has power, all of a sudden, oh, a few years ago, I mean, several years actually now, uh, when we took a missions trip to Jamaica, we were in the airport heading back, and some of our students saw, uh, who was it, Sean Paul, Jaggy? I don't know, someone in the airport. And, you know, they're like, oh, you know, they were so excited. And it's like, like I want a picture with him really bad. Like, I'll walk over there and get a picture. I can't do that. I'm like, he's literally stuck in line. He can't go anywhere. You can just walk over there and stuff. Oh no, I I could never do that. And so you see him taking a selfie from like 50 feet away and he's like this big in the picture. You know, it's like, what are you doing? Those students, they lacked confidence because they viewed themselves as something less important than that rich celebrity. And so where did the three Hebrews' confidence come from. It comes out of truth, folks. Their confidence comes out of truth that they are not less than King Nebuchadnezzar. From their response, we see that they don't see themselves as less than the most powerful ruler of the time. Instead, they had a correct perspective that no matter our position on earth, we are all under the authority of the King of Kings. Daniel said in a different chapter, he, referring to God, determines the course of world events. He removes kings and sets others on the throne. While God gave Nebuchadnezzar his authority, Nebuchadnezzar's commands will always take a backseat to God's. And while he may be a king, we are all sons and daughters of the Most High King. They also stood on the truth that they knew what God could do. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue you, rescue us from your power, your majesty. Okay, what I like here is that even looking death in the eyes, the three Hebrew men still showed King Nebuchadnezzar respect. It wasn't a cocky attitude. It wasn't nasty. And this is a telltale difference between someone who is cocky and confident. You see, when you're confident in the truth, you don't have to be disrespectful to someone else. Confidence in Jesus Christ only makes a person more secure with who they are. You don't have to put on a show when your confidence comes from knowing what the Lord can do. Because they knew God's word, they knew that the Lord delivered the Hebrews from Egypt and could do it again. Because they knew God's word, they knew that the Lord was more powerful than any king, including Nebuchadnezzar. Because they knew God's word, they knew God could save his people and that he was able to save them that day. I don't know if it's even confidence at that point. I think it's more accepting the fact of who God is. As Christians, we should be living a confident life. One that is reassured that our God will rescue us. And yet, day after day, year after year, I see so many Christians who lack confidence. They know it up here but they don't feel it in here that God is able to rescue them. We need Lord to do something in our hearts so that we can live in an authority and a confidence in our daily life that we know he's got our back. And that brings us to the third characteristic. See, refreshing friends of conviction... It leads to confidence, which finally leads to committed friends, both to God and to each other. Look at verse 18. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, students, their commitment to God was not based on their circumstances that day. Our commitment to God can't be based on what we're going through today. Too many times, if things are well, people are willing to follow Jesus. But if things are not well, or I'm not getting what I want, I'm going to do my own thing. That's not commitment. Christians who only trust the Lord when life is going their way they aren't committed to Jesus. They're committed to themselves. They're committed to looking out for what is best for me. That's not commitment to God. That's using God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are committed to God and His commands even if it means losing their lives. Their commitment isn't based on what they get. It's based on the truth of who he is. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. They weren't only committed to the Lord. These three were committed to each other. There was never an I. When they talked, it was united as one. We do not need to defend ourselves. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us, he will rescue us. We want to make it clear we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue. No one gets shoved under the bus here. No one's like, it was Meshach's idea. Take him. These friends are like-minded. They have the same beliefs, the same convictions, the same priorities, the same purpose. And this commitment to each other starts with a commitment to the Lord. I think there's a, I don't know if it's laziness or a misconception, that... All friends need to be the same. The Word and the Lord doesn't want us to be uniform. Uniformity is not the same as unity. If the people who are your friends only look like you, think like you, behave like you. You probably love yourself a little bit too much. And those are called clones. For all we know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had very different personalities. Maybe Shadrach was a perfectionist, Maybe Meshach was an introvert. Maybe Abednego was a challenger. And yet they were close, committed friends. We have a staff made up of very diverse personalities. Now, I'm an 8-1 challenger, perfectionist. You know, Marta, what are you? I can see that. You're a peacemaker. Uh, India, what are you? What is it? Individual. India's a hippie. That's cool. All very different. But united in friendship because of our commitment to Christ. We're committed to each other. Christ brought unity where there might have been none. That's why he asked for his church. The Apostle Paul urges the believers at the church of Philippi to make him happy. He said, make me happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Like-minded friends are committed friends. Does that mean that we shouldn't have any non-Christian friends? Of course not. Having relationships with people is how we lead them to the Lord. Live, love, and then lead them to Jesus. Not like this. Like this. There's an order to things. Let me just say, refreshing friendships that strengthen us, that help us to stand when we're being attacked by Satan, that's going to come from like-minded Christians who are committed to each other. Students, stop trying to get from the world what you can only get from Jesus and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing can replace this. And so, when you look at your friend group, what's your squad goals? What's their purpose? What are they committed to in their lives? Are they committed to the ways of the Lord? Are they committed to you? Or are they committed to themselves or something else? The strength of these three, their friendship, it prepared the way for God to perform near. So We know they are thrown into the fiery furnace and God shows up, literally. There are three that are thrown in and... There are four who are walking around in that furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar is sitting there, and he takes notice. And he calls them out of the fire, and they see that they are completely unharmed. This narcissistic, self-centered, powerful man has to give glory to God. There is no other God that can rescue like this. Nebuchadnezzar gives them a protected status in the nation of Babylon. And in turn, he also promotes the three of them to even higher positions. All because a group of friends were full of conviction, confidence, and commitment to God and each other. When you have a friend group that can do that, it's powerful, man. As we wrap up, uh, let me share with you one of my favorite verses. Ecclesiastes 4.12. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart students by yourself you're done you were not made to live alone you were created to live in community you were created to be a part of the body of Christ if you're not if you're outside of that you're not gonna make it you can have all the armor you want you will be overwhelmed if you have another friend the word tells us that you can resist that word resist means to stand against. And so you can hold them off. But when you've got three friends, and let me just say equal friends, okay? You, you don't put three chords together, two of which are super strong and then a super weak one. When it talks about three chords being braided together, we're talking of equal conviction, commitment, and confidence. And when they have those things and they're braided together in a godly friendship, all three are going to be strengthened. We need this. Things are not getting better in the world, folks. It is going to get more difficult for Christians. We are going to be attacked more. But that just gives us an opportunity to be an even brighter light and perfected through what we're going to face. Can't do it alone. We need the Lord's help on our campuses, Mizzou, Columbia College, Stevens. The Lord has called us to be that. And if we want to be successful and to stand, we need our friendships to be purified by the Lord. And so, go ahead, bow your heads, close your eyes, and close up.